Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining me now to break down all the market action. Ryan Huang, are you stuffed with goodness and feeling all peaceful and happy? Well, something like that. I imagine you are stuffed as well with <laughs> lots of hot pot, I hear. I have become addicted to hot pot. You know what would change my life? What? If I had that sauce bar that you get at all the hot pot ah, restaurants yes, built yes. into my home. The multitudes of different sauces where you can make your own secret recipe. And what is your favorite dish in the hot pot universe? A favorite dish in the hot pot universe? The they whole point of a hot pot is to put pot. it... Oh, the dip, you mean, for uh, the dip. For the, the item. So mine's a beancud roll. A beancud roll? In the hot pot? In the hot pot, yeah. Oh, that sounds great. No, I, I, I'm I a meat girl. Okay, okay. Bring on the meat Premium platters. beef. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let the hot pot good times continue. We are in the year of the dragon people, the wood dragon. And this is supposed to be a good year for people who intend to start a business or develop their careers. We'll take a closer look at uh, what history says about the stock market and commodities in the year of the dragon. But first, I want to dive into the world of mergers and acquisitions because a really big one has happened in the big old state of Texas. Uh, 26 billion US dollar acquisition. Can you guess which sector this happened in? Texas should be a clue for you. Yes, oil and gas. You did guess correct. A shale oil producer called Diamondback Energy, which is listed on NASDAQ, is buying a company that is the largest privately held oil and gas producer in Texas Permian Basin. Uh, place this deal in context for us. Just how big will this combined company be, assuming that the deal is approved by regulators, Ryan? Yeah, we're talking about $26 billion in a cash and stock deal. That includes debt. So combined, this will make it the third largest oil and gas producer in the region behind Exxon and Chevron. So this really puts into context how this area has been so hotly um, attracting so much interest, not just in terms of capital, but also M&A. So a lot of people are flocking to this area because of what analysts believe to be a huge untapped resource when it comes to oil and gas. So pretty much the largest in terms of inventory that I think they believe is still untapped in the US. So that's why you've got a lot of activity going on. And of course, you get economies of scale if you get bigger. And of course, tap into the area straight away if you can buy into these companies. So in recent times, we've been seeing a lot of M&A. Investors are really applauding this particular merger. Shares of Diamondback Energy jumped 9% overnight. The oil producer reportedly beat out other contenders for Endeavor, including ConocoPhillips. And analysts say that this deal could lead Diamondback to pay out high dividends and fund share buybacks. There have been several uh, blockbuster deals in the oil and gas sector in recent months, including a $60 billion US dollar acquisition by ExxonMobil and a $53 billion deal by Chevron. So what is fueling this merger spree? Yeah, you've got to talk about all these deals, right? So you have Chevron uh, with an all-stock deal to buy Hess Corporation with a price tag of $53 billion. And then just before that, you're Exxon going into another deal to buy up another company. And then around that time as well, you had Permian Resources buying Earthstone Energy in another deal at $4.5 billion. So all these deals come as people try to exploit the region in what is 
believed to be the biggest undeveloped quality inventory of resources. Mm. As opposed to what's playing out elsewhere, the wider backdrop of higher energy costs. You've got a Red Sea situation pushing up the uncertainty and I suppose volatility of what's happening in the production space for oil. That's supporting prices and that incentivizes more folks to head into exploration and to figure out you know, if they want a bigger pipeline. Speaking of prices, the price of West Texas crude is up about 9% since the beginning of the year and Big Oil is apparently betting that demand for fossil fuel will remain high for years to come. Our second M&A deal in focus this morning is in the pharmaceutical sector. Gilead Sciences is going to spend more than $4 billion US dollars to buy a company called Sima Bay Therapeutics. Now, what's driving this deal and what will Gilead get? in return for its $4 billion, right? I suppose quite similar to the oil and gas play is to buy into future earnings where mm. Gilead is buying Simabay's primary drug candidate called Saladelpa. And this is to help treat a form of chronic inflammatory liver disease. So it gets into that space and then, of course, it's on R&D. It's able to push it forward and um, scale it up. So that's what the um, Gita is trying to do with its $4.3 billion cash deal. Simon Bay shares surged 25% on the news. Gilead Sciences finished up 1%. This deal comes on the heel of Gilead's mixed results for the fourth quarter. So Gilead shares had a rough January after one of the company's cancer drugs performed poorly in a trial. Let's bring the discussion to Singapore now, where it's time to take a look at director deals. So who's buying, who's selling, and what does this all mean for you? Two real estate investment trusts have caught my eye this morning. One focuses on healthcare. The other on data centers. So our healthcare REIT is Parkway Life and the data center REIT is Digital Core, which we talked about on Your Money fairly recently. Let's start with Parkway Life. One of its substantial shareholders, Cohen and Steers Capital Management, is trading Parkway Life units. Is Cohen and Steers buying or selling right? All right. They are buying. So they are buying back above the 6% threshold. So it's interesting because not too long ago, actually in January, they sold some shares, over 3.7 million shares, uh, units were sold mm. at an average price of $3.70. So they sold that at that price and now they're buying back at a cheaper price, three forty-eight per unit. At that price, to the tune of around 2.3 million units, that helps bring them back again above the 6% threshold. So I suppose they see value in a certain price and they are getting back in again. Parkway Life's net property income grew 14% last year as compared with a year earlier. The company has been expanding its stable of nursing homes as well as with two acquisitions, new ones, in Osaka Prefecture. As for Cohen and Steers, it bought Parkway Life units at an average price of three forty eight, as you mentioned. That is about 5% lower than the REIT's current price. So on paper, Cohen and Steers has already made a profit of nearly... $450,000. Next up, I want to take a look at Digital Core REIT and our investor is the same company, Cohen and Steers Capital Management. So is Cohen and Steers buying or selling Digital Core REIT? Yeah, these folks uh, appearing to be on a shopping spree. So they are snapping up units of Digital Core REIT, 825,000 units at a price of 
64.6 cents per unit. So that's the average price, and that brings them back above the, or that brings them above the 5% substantial shareholder threshold. So in, that is a sign of, I suppose, optimism in a couple of REITs. Indeed, Cohen and Steers Capital Management also making money on this purchase. Digital Core Reads unit price has risen about 3% since Cohen and Steers increased their stake. The gain here is not quite as substantial as they made over with the buy in Parkway Life, but the capital management company is still up about $15,000 on its most recent investment. If we take a step back, what do you think of this vote of confidence, um, maybe the votes in both Parkway Life mm. and Digital Core REIT? It does tie into what the management of both REITs have been kind of outlining for what's to come, which is better days ahead. So we've got DC REIT Management CEO, John Stewart, highlighting that things like interest rate tightening cycle that appears to be leveling off. So those refinancing headwinds would be, I guess, eased up a bit. And then you've got the data center, what's called transaction cap rates, which is the return on investment, have begun to edge up. So they are getting more bang for the buck, so to speak, if you're an investor. So that signals that perhaps valuations are going to be supported by these fundamentals. So good news for... DC REIT at least. And then you've got DC REIT recently also looking at a private placement to raise more money to perhaps expand. So more opportunities abound around the corner. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side is Parkway Trust or Parkway Life REIT. So Parkway Trust Management reported recently net property income of $69 million for a second half FY23. So that's an increase of 4.8%. So that report comes after um, the initial sale of those um, units by Cohen and Steer. So that may have incentivized them to come back again after the Rosie report card. That's a great wrap-up. Data center REITs definitely have been under the spotlight recently as more data centers have opened. Plus, tech companies are increasingly focused on reining in costs. But demand is also strong, particularly in the AI space. So I'd say data center REITs are definitely a sector to keep a close eye on. As for Parkway Life, its focus on aged care in Japan continues to attract investor interest. Now, there is one more director deal that has markets abuzz this morning. And this one over in the U.S., which concerns a low-cost carrier called JetBlue, whose shares are up 16% in after-hours trade. The surge in JetBlue's share price is coming on the back of a regulatory filing disclosing a director purchase. So, who's buying JetBlue shares? Yeah, he's been dubbed the corporate raider, the original OG of corporate raiding, is Carl Icahn. So, you might shiver in your shoes depending on which side of the fence you're in. Well, he is buying more of Jet Blue. So depending on how you want to read it, it's a nearly 10% stake in the airline. And he's saying, hey, I am going to get more bought seats. Or he's planning to or hoping to, he's aiming to. Typically, gets what he wants. So it might be a bit of a shake-up at JetBlue. Exactly. It's what is ahead for JetBlue with Carl Icahn on board. 
Well, we'll keep a lookout for you. Let's zoom out, take a look at U.S. markets now. The major indices kicked off the year of the dragon on a mixed note overnight. The Dow Jones Industrial Average notched its 12th straight record close. It rose one-third of a percent to finish just a little shy of 38,800. The Nasdaq lost ground, though. So did the S&P 500, although it still finished above the 5,000 mark, a level that it reached for the first time Friday. If we take a look at the record books... What does history have to say about how stocks perform during a year of the dragon? Uh, it's quite interesting. So there is this piece that calculated or at least looked back in the records for all the years of the dragon that have played out since 1871. There's a long stretch. <laughs> and by the averages, the year of the dragon, mm-hmm. we'll see a 12.7% return. 127 is not bad. That's great. Yeah, I suppose there's a mix of stuff going on. People like the idea of the year of the dragon. You know, mm-hmm. And if people like it enough, more people will just jump on the, I suppose, momentum, the trend, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, interesting tidbit is every year of the dragon is a leap year, like this year. Right. So an extra right. day of trading, I suppose. <laughs> Dragons are fierce. An analyst at Fundstrat note that U.S. equities tend to register double-digit gains in the year of the dragon. The U.S. markets are already well on their way there. The Nasdaq is up 6% since the start of the year, and the S&P 500 is up by more than 5%. So... Yep. I Looks suppose like a good start. you could also say the year of the dragon, which is long in Mandarin, sounds oh. like going long on the markets. And it is longer <laughs> by a day. It all it all comes together. All right, let's take a look at the week ahead, Ryan. What's on your radar? All right, it is a shorter work week, but still stuff to look out for. I think right front and center for folks back home will be the budget on Friday. Mm. There'll be one to watch because um, it is heading into the next year, 2025, when elections are expected by November 2025. So a couple of things to watch out for will be how much they'll be putting into things like um, caregiving support, welfare for folks like you and me, policies that could help businesses as well. And then, of course, the day before is the fourth quarter GDP final figures. That will give a bit of a confirmation of how much weakness was in the fourth quarter because the latest indicators have been pointing to some weakness in industrial production numbers. Mm. So that could see a revision downwards from the advanced numbers. Um, But by and large, there is optimism in the coming months that things could start to pick up again. So going into these two events could shape the rest of the year in terms of, I guess, tone and sentiment. Absolutely. I'm going to take a little step back and have an overview of U.S. markets. About two-thirds of S&P 500 companies have reported fourth quarter earnings so far. And from what we're seeing, bottom line profits are growing faster than top line revenues. And these strong profit numbers are giving share prices a boost. This week, earnings season continues with the F&B sector in focus. So we'll look out for earnings from Coca-Cola, Krispy Cream and the company that owns Burger King Restaurant Brands International. Time for corporate news. Are we do it up or down style? Is the chip designer arm holdings looking up or down? Well, it's super up. In fact, it's crazy. <laughs> I am trying. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So it has risen yet again. A three-day rally, and this has driven its value up almost by 
double, 100% almost. Mm. And this is right after the blockbuster earnings report we saw last week where um really blew away expectations. And we are talking about the company projecting revenue of $850 to $900 million for this current quarter, surpassing the estimates of $778 million. So a lot Amazing. to do with the expectations of where AI is going to help ARM and smartphone technology. And of course, ARM has a big play there. So ARM share price has nearly doubled over the past three trading sessions in the US. Its stock surged 29% overnight. Investors are cheering the company's latest earnings report. We talked about this on the show last week, so this is why it pays to listen. Okay, Investors are excited about ARM's artificial intelligence business, which has high margins. Analysts say many companies talk about AI, but ARM is one of the few whose financials are clearly getting a direct boost from the technology. Next up, let's turn to the cloud computing business with Microsoft Azure versus Amazon Web Services. Which one is up? Which one is down? Well, if you guess Microsoft, you are right. It seems like it's Microsoft's year. Everything seems going well for it. And this is around its cloud business where it is closing the gap with AWS, which is the leader right now. So not too long ago, about five years back, analysts were comparing both companies and... Microsoft was deemed to be commanding about half the size of Amazon's share when it comes to cloud. Now, they believe it's about three quarters of AWS. So that gap is closing and it's being helped by a couple of things. One is it's play into open AI. So when you need things to crunch data, um, anything to do with AI, you need a lot of cloud computing. So with its partnership OpenAI, that is coming in handy to drive demand for Azure. Microsoft, Amazon still has a larger cloud computing business, but Microsoft is gaining on it. Analysts estimate that AWS was twice as big as Microsoft's Azure just a couple of years ago, but that Microsoft now has cut that gap in half. Microsoft's Azure business is growing thanks to the company's investment in OpenAI and ChatGPT. I'd say that's an up for Microsoft and a down for Amazon. Let's look at Elon Musk versus the U.S. state of Delaware. You know, Elon Musk always seems to be picking a fight with someone. Well, he's taking on the whole state of Delaware. So he's moving shop pretty much because of, you might say, some petty dispute, but no, it's $55 billion of pay. So apparently, he's not too happy that a court in Delaware ruled that he should not be getting so much pay. Mm -hmm. And that's why he is picking up his company, which is now or was incorporated in Delaware and moving elsewhere. So most folks, a lot of the Fortune 500 companies go to Delaware because of a lot of reasons, among them it's more tax-friendly. It's very business-friendly because of all the rules and protection they get. And that's why he went there in the first place. That's it. But now he's saying, you no, know, he's not happy with how things are working out, especially in the courts with his latest decision. He's furious. So I suppose he's saying, hey, if you don't want my tax dollars, I'll just find another state that will make me happy. Mm-mm. So Musk is angry and he threatened to move Tesla's incorporation from Delaware to Texas. That may face shareholder or even regulatory hurdles. For now, though, Musk has already moved his brain implant startup Neuralink out of Delaware. He has switched Neuralink's incorporation to 
Nevada. So today it looks like Musk is up as compared to Delaware's regulators, but the story is not over yet. Continually unfolding in the Musk files. All right, up, up and away. Let's look at Bitcoin. <laughs> well, that is the right way to frame it. Bitcoin has hit the $50,000 level for the first time in more than two years. Mm-mm. It seems like it wasn't too long ago, but they are back up again. $50,000. So it's been quite a roller coaster ride. A couple of things now lifting the mood. Of course, you've got the Bitcoin ETFs. And then you've got what's called the halving event, where it will become even harder for folks to mine Bitcoin. And that could theoretically limit the supply and theoretically drive up prices. Mm-hmm. But then you have to figure out if after the fact or after the event happens, will people start to take profit and sell? And then it goes down again. Mm-hmm. So what will transpire in the coming month is still a big question mark. That's it. But for now, uh, investors are cheering Bitcoin topping 50,000 US dollars for the first time since 2021. Investment companies like BlackRock and Fidelity are fueling the buying. They've each purchased more than 3 billion US dollars of Bitcoin since US regulators greenlighted that first spot Bitcoin ETF that happened last month. All right, we must break for the news. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you so much for joining us here on Market View. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.